0: Well, good evening. You look like people I've spent time with before. Since retirement, Karen and I have been worshiping at the 10 o'clock Sunday morning service, so I haven't had much opportunity to see the Saturday night crowd. It's good to see your faces again. When I came in a while ago for my sound check, I noticed that they were spreading a large piece of plastic center stage. And I thought to myself, how old do they think I am? (laughs) And what are they afraid I'm going to do? (laughs) Then I learned it was for the skit, and I felt much better about myself. A highly respected veteran black pastor was training a group of his younger protégés when one of them asks, what's the best advice you could give us for effective communication of God's word? And his simple response became an often quoted proverb, one that effective preachers take to heart. He said, men, when preaching God's word, do three things. Tell the people what you're going to tell them. Tell them. And then tell them what you told them. So let me begin today by telling you what I plan to tell you. Today I want to speak to fathers about the most important gift that they can offer their children. And since mothers can offer their children this gift as well, And since every believer should offer this gift to those who cross their path, I encourage everyone to listen in. Now at this point, I suspect you're already speculating about my topic. It's what we do. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, he's probably going to speak about love. Others may be thinking, I bet he's going to talk about the importance of fathers giving instruction in what it means to follow Jesus. Others, knowing that more is caught than taught, are likely thinking, I bet he's going to focus on example, a consistent, compelling example of what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. Now granted, all of those things are important. All of them constitute wonderful gifts that a father can and should give to his children. But without the gift I'm going to highlight today, all of those would be deficient. Without the gift we're going to focus on today, our love will lack an essential divine component. One that informs love, directs love, sustains love, and empowers love. Without the gift we're going to talk about, our instruction as dads will be incomplete and unpersuasive. We'll end up articulating information rather than modeling transformation. And that tends to produce a form of godliness that lacks power. Culturally and politically compromised belief systems that lack discernment. And our example... Without the gift we'll focus on this evening, rather than being compelling, our example will be unconvincing at best and perhaps offensive at worst. Now, I didn't recognize the greatest gift, and I certainly didn't realize my father had given it to me until shortly after I entered pastoral ministry. It was then that I came to the realization that Dad, by his example, had taught me that there is more to following Jesus than making a confession, embracing a system of beliefs, or adopting a culture. Much, much more. My father taught me that following Jesus requires a conscious reliance upon a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. A person, not an idea, not a concept, not an impersonal force, not merely written words, a person, and the only person who can transform us and give us the discernment and the guidance and the power necessary for truly effective fathering. And fathers who teach their children that truth give their children the greatest gift. That's going to be our focus. That's what we're going to talk about. But before we do, join your hearts with mine in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as always, I gladly confess my total inability for the task set before me. But I unreservedly trust in your ability for the task. So I pray that you would grant me a fresh, in filling of your spirit for this never-to-be-repeated moment in time. And let the words of my mouth and the responses of our hearts be all that they need to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God's voice together, may the Lord be with you. Like his instruction in other spiritual matters, Jesus' instruction about the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit, was sometimes direct, sometimes implied, and indirect. And we're going to consider an example of an indirect reference today. I say that because the passage we're going to study primarily focuses not on the Holy Spirit, but on prayer. And when I read it in a moment, you'll recognize it. But embedded inside that teaching on prayer, Jesus made a reference to fathers, specifically, fathers giving good gifts to their children. And he referred to the gift our heavenly Father desires to give to his children. The familiar passage is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. And the parallel passage that we'll also draw from is Luke chapter 11, beginning at the 13th verse. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what father is there among you? When his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? Now before we unpack that passage, let me state The obvious, and then something less obvious. The obvious, effective fathering is a stiff challenge. It's not for the lazy, the selfish, the insecure, or the faint of heart. Why? Because if you understand fathering, you know that it is essentially spiritual warfare. And those involved in spiritual warfare need regular doses of encouragement. So I want to begin by encouraging dads by reminding them of a simple but profound truth housed in Jesus' words. Effective fathering doesn't rely entirely upon us. God offers an incredible resource and it's ours for the asking. We don't have to go it alone. Now, appropriately enough, Jesus offered his encouragement in a chapter dealing with human relationships. Let's consider the context of our text. Prior to our text, the first six verses of Matthew 7 call us to avoid judgment and exercise discernment. Judging others is grounded in human ignorance and pride. It is the specialty of the insecure. Discernment is grounded in humility and God-given security of soul. And I like to define discernment as the ability to see things as God sees them, to grasp what's really going on. Those with discernment are able to recognize evil even when it comes clothed in the garments of righteousness. And they're able to recognize God's specific will in specific life situations, even when God's will runs contrary to human reasoning and human thinking. They understand what God wants to do in us and through us. They understand the what and the when and the how of God's activities. Now on the back side of our verses that we're claiming as our text, verse 12 sets forth what we now call the golden rule. Now some people act as if that means those who have the most gold will rule. But we know it means that we're to treat others the way we would want them to treat us. And I'd remind you, there is no exception clause where politics is concerned. So given that context, something should become immediately obvious. When Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, his words didn't constitute a blank check. God doesn't promise anything we ask. We couldn't be trusted with that. He offers what we need to be what? to be righteous in our relationships. That's the focus of the chapter. Because if we aren't righteous in our relationships with other people, then our relationship with God is sorely lacking. Jesus made it clear, if we're going to relate to others in a manner acceptable to God, if we're going to treat people the way God wants us to treat people, the continual, confident prayer that seeks the assistance of the Holy Spirit is essential. Now, to assure us of his faithful response to such prayer, Jesus referred to a group of people who need truckloads of help in relationships, human fathers. And as he did, he reminded fathers that prayer begins with the awareness of need. We don't pray until we're convinced we need to pray. Now, when Jesus said of human fathers, you being evil, he wasn't disrespecting fathers. He was reminding us all men are finite and fallible. We are by nature painfully limited and seriously compromise where spiritual discernment is concerned. Jesus' words were meant to signal our total dependence upon someone greater. And that's why in John 16, 8, Jesus promised that after he ascended to the Father, he wouldn't leave us on our own. He said, the Holy Spirit will come and take my place. And when he comes, Jesus said, he will convict us of sin and judgment. So when the Holy Spirit is at work and fathers are aware of his work and cooperating with his work, then fathers are aware of their own sins and their own limitations. And that leads fathers to pray continually for righteousness and wisdom and discernment. That's captured in those words, ask. Seek and knock. As noted earlier, they don't constitute a blank check. And they don't indicate that prayer will be heard simply because we repeat ourselves. Jesus shot down that silly notion on more than one occasion. Jesus was reminding us that righteous relationships require continuing prayer. Why? Because they require continuing discernment and continuing grace. We keep on asking because we keep finding ourselves in need, and we keep finding ourselves facing new challenges. And as we keep on asking, God keeps on giving. Now at this point, let me restate what really should be obvious— Wishing isn't asking. Whining isn't asking. Worrying isn't asking. Wallowing in self-pity isn't asking. Asking others to pray is not you asking. Asking is something you have to do. Next, Jesus reminded us that righteous relationships require confident prayer. And prayer becomes confident when it's convinced of two things. One, God will answer. Two, his answers will always be good. When Jesus referred to the Heavenly Father, he was reminding us of God's superior perspective, superior wisdom, and superior power. He was reminding fathers that God knows our children better than we ever could. And he shares his knowledge if we ask. He gives us discernment about what's going on in our children. But I want you to note what he promises. He doesn't promise comfort. He doesn't promise convenience. He doesn't promise immunity from heartaches and disappointments. Because God doesn't engage in spin. He never intentionally misleads us. He practices truth in advertising. He said, every day we'll present you with sufficient trouble. In this world, you will have difficulty. He repeatedly reminded us that we have to know where we are and what time it is. This isn't heaven. This isn't the future. So exactly what is the good that he promised? The good gift. That is ours for the asking. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is the good we need and the good that Jesus promised. Luke made that very clear. The Holy Spirit has been called the invisible Christ inside the visible believer. He possesses and he passes on everything that is necessary for righteous relationships, including effective fathering. When Matthew spoke of what is good, and Luke in the parallel passage spoke of the Holy Spirit, they were speaking of the same thing. One simply focused on the result, the other focused on the source. Now, I hope you know that the Holy Spirit took up residence in your soul the minute you were born again by faith. He is the presence of Christ in you. But just as you may be as a father in a relationship with a wife with whom you seldom communicate or in a relationship that hasn't grown deeper over time, In the same way, believers may reside with the Holy Spirit and never work on their relationship, seldom consult Him, seldom listen for Him, and fail to cultivate sensitivity to His voice. And when that occurs, even believing fathers may take their cues from lesser sources, past experiences, past pains. Ongoing disappointments and frustrations, old fears, the prevailing culture, political persuasions, the teaching of compromised churches, or the thinking of your chosen tribe. But if you seek and listen to the Holy Spirit, he will do several things. The Spirit will give you discernment, guidance, and power And develop the character of Christ in you. What Paul called the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he'll be present with your children when you can't be. Now I know it's not unusual or uncommon for some professing believers to act in bizarre fashion where the Holy Spirit is concerned. To make extravagant, obviously self-serving claims. I find that much of what is presented on Christian media is more show business than God's business. But we can't allow somebody else's abuse to lead us into abandonment of the good gift God offers. In short, we need to make an intentional, ongoing, personal response to the greatest resource God offers, the Holy Spirit. If we attempt to fulfill our responsibilities as fathers without total reliance upon the Spirit, we will find ourselves inadequately equipped for our assignment. Jesus' words reminded fathers that the normal Christian life is a supernaturally led, supernaturally empowered life. Not a natural ability life with a little biblical tint or the ill-fated attempt to keep commands we can never keep on our own. Jesus said we must pray for the Spirit's work and pray for the Spirit's influence, do it continually and do it with confidence. And confidence is sustained by the knowledge that God never gives us evil. And faith believes that even when the visual evidence seems to be to the contrary. Jesus referred to imitations, a stone in place of bread, a serpent in place of a fish. Now, imitations are Satan's specialty. And he makes imitations look appealing. The evil the world offers may look good at first glance, like a $50 Rolex watch being peddled on the streets of New York City. But it always proves to be bogus, disappointing, hollow, and empty. In contrast, the good that God offers may not look so good at first encounter, but it always proves to be good over time. Jesus' promises regarding the Holy Spirit remind us that we can be good fathers even if we didn't have a good father. The past doesn't have to determine our future when the Holy Spirit is in the mix, Demonic cycles of failure don't have to be our permanent address because God offers the greatest gift, the powerful indwelling person who can change our nature, change our course, change our perspective, change our attitude, the Holy Spirit. And if fathers will continually and intentionally take possession of that gift, they can pass that on to their children, and in so doing, give their children the greatest gift. That's what my father did. As we watched and as we listened, he gave us more than Bible verses. He gave us more than moral directives. He gave us more than stories of what God did hundreds or thousands of years ago. He lived a life that would have been impossible without the Holy Spirit. As many of you know, my father only had an eighth grade education. God led him into selling vacuum cleaners door to door. It was a commission only gig. If he didn't sell, we didn't eat. And aware of his inadequacy, he asks for the Spirit's leading with confidence, and he relied on the Spirit for everything, including the support of his family. When he had no prospects, no leads for sales, he would literally stop along the roadside and pray and asked the Holy Spirit to direct him to a home where they needed a vacuum cleaner. And then because dad knew God can't steer a parked car, he would begin to drive. And as he was driving, he would intentionally listen for the Holy Spirit's voice leading him. And that voice was always there. And he would eventually be led to a specific home where he would knock on the door to find a surprised family in need of a vacuum cleaner. Wondering how in the world he could have known that. And he gladly told them how he knew that. And when he left, they had cleaner rugs and often cleansed souls. And dad told us those stories regularly. Sometimes dad would receive special Instructions by the Lord, sometimes in the middle of the night. I can remember on one occasion the Spirit called him to get up and journey over an hour to a home where he had sold a couple a vacuum cleaner 20 years earlier. Now it was January. We were in the midst of one of those ice storms. And it meant he had to travel from Butler to Emlenton, Pennsylvania. And if you're familiar with the road between Butler and Emlenton, it's a lot of up and down and sharp curves during an ice storm at 9.30 at night. But Dad went. And when he arrived, he found a surprised wife and in the bedroom, her husband who was in the final hours of life, dying from cancer. And dad had the privilege of introducing him to the one who is life itself. He returned home, and the following morning at nine, he got a call, and now a widow. The woman said, Mr. Dilliman, my husband passed just a few hours after you left, but thank you for coming. I know where he is. And dad always shared those stories. Always. And as we watched, and as we listened, we came to the realization that faith in Jesus is more than a set of beliefs. It's reliance upon a promised helper, the Holy Spirit. Apart from God's amazing grace, Dad giving us the greatest gift was the key reason my personal rebellion against God came to an end. When I was 19, I told my parents, once I left for college, I would never darken a church door the rest of my life. But I discovered I couldn't deny the reality of God's spirit at work in my life. Father. There was no human explanation for the things he did, for the things that were produced by his life. And while God never formally, or while my dad never formally announced his intentions, kids, I want to teach you about the Holy Spirit. His intentions eventually became clear. He wanted to give us the greatest gift. Now, as that wise black preacher suggested, having told you what I'm going to tell you and having told you, it's time to tell you what I've told you. Fathers, the greatest gift you can give your children is instruction in and a living example of total reliance upon the person of the Holy Spirit. But before you can give children that gift, you have to possess it yourself. None of us can lead people where we have never been ourselves. And there's no good reason why you can't live in that place and why you can't pass on that gift because Jesus said all you have to do is what? Ask. And when you ask, your heavenly Father will gladly give you that gift, not a stone, not a serpent but the Spirit. The Spirit is given to those who ask because God will not withhold the greatest gift that he can give to anyone and the greatest gift that he can give to fathers and the greatest gift that fathers can pass to their children. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for our fathers that they would lead in their home in the instruction in and the provision of powerful examples of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful you gave us more than confessions and doctrines and teachings. You gave us a powerful person given to enable us to understand those things and to carry them out with discernment and confidence and power. And Lord, I pray that any father under the sound of my voice who has never seriously asked for the increased understanding and influence of the Holy Spirit in his life, I pray he would do it right Now. It need not be lengthy. It need not be eloquent. He just needs to ask. And Father, I pray that everyone who professes Christ as Savior would continually ask and seek and knock and realize we'll never be able to do this on our own, but we don't have to. And the Holy Spirit is greater than we could imagine. Help us to give that good gift to the world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in just a moment, I'll have you stand for the benediction. But I want to remind you that this weekend, we're not only celebrating Father's Day, but we are also, as a nation, observing Juneteenth. And I've been privileged to speak at Juneteenth celebrations here in the city of Pittsburgh and elsewhere, and always considered a great, great, undeserved honor and privilege. But Juneteenth is a reminder of very real past evils. And it's also a reminder that those evils still exist among us and they need to be addressed. And while God's people can legitimately disagree and have varying opinions on the most effective ways of addressing those evils, those who walk in the Spirit, those who are filled with the Spirit, those who are anointed by the Spirit, those who listen for the Spirit, those who know the Spirit's voice, will never, never deny the existence of those evils and they will never shun their own personal engagement in the battle against them why because in the passage where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit he follows up by saying and do unto others as you would have them do unto you amen Would you please stand for the benediction? And now may the glorious God who died and rose again in Christ so that you could have more than a book of teachings so that you could have God himself dwelling in you. May he by his spirit empower you, enlighten you, sustain you, and use you for the healing of a broken world and for the glory and the honor of his name. Dads, God bless you. May all of you be blessed as you follow Jesus. You are dismissed.